because you really cannot have a silver bullet that fits all use cases. Main goal of Measuring 2.0 is to be the starting point for all data science teams. Welcome to the Bull.com Tech Lab podcast. We received some feedback to skip the intro and dive right into the subject. So why not experiment with that, Peter? Yes, thanks, Peter Paul. Practice what you preach, so experiment with a new, less structured format and really listen to the feedback we receive. So let's dive into the topic of this episode. We call it Measuring 2.0. The big question to be answered in this episode is, how can we create 10 million different web shops, personalized for every one uh, of our customers, so that uh, suits their need uh, best? So our guests of this show are the persons to ask this question. So let's introduce them. Okay, so we have uh, Niels Bosjes. He's uh, an IT architect here at uh, Bol.com and an international keynote speaker. Uh, he has given several lectures on this uh, subject and others. And we have uh, Oscar Westra van Holtekind. He's a software engineer in the Measuring uh, 2.0 team. So uh, welcome. Great to have you here. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So, um, yeah, Niels, um, what are the phases for Measuring 2.0? What, of what yeah, components does it exist? Or? Well, uh, let's start with the primary goal of Measuring 2.0. And that is that we want to have really reliable... Uh, measure, measurements of what happens on the website. Uh, what did we put on the screen? Uh, what was actually visible? And how did the user respond to those uh, outings? And that's essentially the key of the project. And the reason I started this back in 2013 is that in 2012, I created the product recommendation system. And while building that system, I discovered how truly bad JavaScript-based measurements are, how completely unreliable, incomplete, and inaccurate they are. So because I discovered that in early 2013, I started thinking about, okay, let's come up with a new way of measuring that solves, quote, unquote, all problems I see at the time. Okay. And what were these problems with, with uh, measuring using JavaScript? Um, JavaScript is blockable. Uh, so if you have an ad blocker, uh, you do not exist on the website. And for that very same reason, uh, according to Google Analytics, I never visit the website. Trust me, I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Other measuring systems say I do visit <laughs> the website. But measuring systems like Google Analytics or Omniture, those are all JavaScript-based. They simply do not see me. Okay. And um, another big problem of the old existing measuring systems is that they are batch-oriented. So the measurements are collected, stored into files. So you have log lines mm -hmm. with, with lots yeah. of data in them. Uh, those are then on a 24-hour basis, they're log-rotated. Yeah. Then they're compressed, shipped to a processing system, and then you can start using it which effectively means that on average, you're like 24 hours late. Yeah, so you basically, if you want to do something with the user that's on the website now, you could never do that. Exactly. And that was something we were aiming at? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> back, back in the old days, we yeah. started by doing uh, you know, behavioral analytics mm -hmm. on all the customers, and we were able to build product recommendations. But on a given uh, moment, 
for a certain product, everybody would get the exact same recommendations. Same with search suggestions. We would build on a nightly basis for everything you could type in the list of suggested terms. And for a certain day, for everyone visiting the site, the answer would be identical. And if you really want to go into a conversation with your visitor, listening to what their, you know, essentially Mm -hmm. their behavior, um, you would really need to be able to listen in real time as close to uh, and, 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 and be relevant when you give the answer. Mm-hmm. And being relevant, what, what, means, what, what does that mean in this context? Um, well, an example I used in a presentation earlier is that uh, if at some point uh, a customer were to ask, okay, what other games do you have? Mm-hmm. It really depends on the context. Were they looking at board games or computer games? So depending on that context from just before, the analysis of that question, what other games do you have, would yield a totally different answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we already make it explicit? You, you, you said, okay, you have the recommendation service you built in the, in the past, yep. and now you were looking for the, for the real-time uh, data to, to use. Yeah. Do we already have an example that audience can, can look at and see, okay, this is what it's used for in the, in the webshop? Uh, well, one thing we built as one of the first applications is a uh, close to real-time analysis of behavior on the website, uh, but still everybody would see the same thing. So it's not personal yet, yeah. uh, but it's a trending product. So if uh, on, a t- on a popular TV show they hold up a book, what you'll see is that in a short period, a lot of visitors would search for the same thing, look at the same thing, And then because that is a trend breach on that product, that system detects that within a few minutes and then show that on the homepage. Okay. And so what happens is that uh, uh, it does an analysis over a longer period of time. And then every so many minutes, it has a new set of counts for every product uh, uh, that was viewed on the website. And based on that, it would detect the trend breach and, and, and serve it. Um, and w- what does it serve then as, as a, a popular search? or Yeah, essentially trending products, as in uh, this is, these are popular products trending at, pro- okay, yes, right. at, at this moment. Yep. 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 Okay. Yeah, and I'm um, not sure if you are, or Oscar is, is able to give the answer, but you were saying, okay, we measure everything that's happening on the website, so that, that will be reflecting a huge amount of data and, and events. Uh, can yes. we give some numbers? Is that possible? Um, well, given the uh, amount of measurements, uh, the size, I think, is less relevant. But um, as a team that actually has to manage the disk space, uh, it becomes uh, uh, interesting. Um, we handle about three terabytes of data each day. Um, during the season, it is more. Uh, we're scaling now uh, to ensure that we can handle up to seven terabytes a day. And that is, uh, well, on average, uh, that means that we need to be able to handle 30 to 50,000 measurements uh, per, I believe, per second. So it's it's quite a lot. And uh, that is also immediately the single largest challenge. It is the amount of data, uh, it is the amount of messages uh, it's simply sheer volume per time. 
Okay, so it's really interesting to, to find out, okay, how do we deal with that? Yes. So, um, so, so yeah, Niels, you realized, okay, we have to do something about it, how yep. it worked in the past and where uh, we want to go. So how did you approach it? What, uh, what steps did you identify? Uh, well, what I did is I, first of all, did an analysis of uh, the technical possibilities of how and where you can measure in a, uh, in a web stack. So from network sniffing to JavaScript-based measurements to changing the server-side application and a few variations on that. And based on that, I came to the conclusion that the best way to measure is server-side. But some features like which of the elements were actually seen on the screen, because most pages are bigger than the screen of the user, mm -hmm. uh, can only be measured um, uh, in the browser itself. And by that realization, I came to the conclusion that the best way to measure something is to measure it where, the, where it actually happens, where the thing you want to measure actually happens. Okay. And that is actually the, the, um, the primary foundation for the data quality. So, and does that mean that some things are measured on server and some in the browser then? Correct, yes. So, yes. so for example, the viewport, what a customer actually see when he uh, visits a page that's measured in the browser, yes. and what page and, and what, what elements are rendered are, I guess, measured on the server. Exactly. And by doing it that way, we only have to make sure that there are enough identifiers to link the two, to mm -hmm. match them mm -hmm. later on in the processing. Yeah. Uh, and um, well, that's that's fundamentally how we measure. And the same uh, goes for things like the orders that mm -hmm. are placed. We measure them in the order system, and mm -hmm. those are also joined into the stream uh, to give a much more complete picture of the interactions the visitor did. So we don't mm -hmm. measure uh, when the customer clicks the buy now button, for example. Uh, no, we measure it when it enters the servers that handles the customer orders. Yes, and the reason for that is that if you look at JavaScript-based measurements or old-style measurements, is that they measure not the purchase, but they measure the viewing of the thank you page of the order. Okay. And um, the problem is, uh, specifically with Ideal, uh, the payment system Ideal, mm -hmm. is that there is a significant percentage of the visitors that go from our checkout, our payment system, mm -hmm. to their bank. Yep. There they complete the transaction, and then the bank says, you have paid. And then they close their browser. And they never Though reach the they never thank, go you to the thank you for ordering. Exactly. <laughs> so you have a mismatch. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. And then what happens in the background is that the bank has received the payment with some unique ordering identifiers, and they give that back to our systems, and then a few minutes later, our checkout notices a signal from the bank, the payment has been received, even though the visitor didn't come back, mm -hmm. and then the order is shipped. And that is a completely back-end process. Yeah. And the only way we found to make that part of the interaction uh, measured accurately was to, to measure it essentially in the back-end, or in the okay. semi-back-end. Yeah. How, how did you find out that, that these things occurred? How did you test for them when they are we accurate now? How, how do you... Uh... How do we test? Oscar, you probably know that better than me. <laughs> um, <coughs> I don't recall exactly, but it's essentially a, a comparison game. Mm -hmm. You uh, 
check uh, the number of orders that you've measured versus the number of orders that were actually placed, mm -hmm. um, we know we have the number of orders that were actually placed very, very accurately. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, well, what's the use of having a web shop? Sure. So, and comparing that to uh, what we have measured, then you see a mismatch, and it's obvious where then the error lies. It's in the measuring. Mm -hmm. So okay. then we knew what we had to fix. Yeah, and so we were quite reliable that, that for example, the uh, the signals for what's measured uh, uh, that they were sent right to the thing uh, to the to the thing that's actually counting these signals. Uh, so that you already have tested that that's working correct, I guess. Yes, uh, the system that uh, we initially had yeah. was to uh, backfill or try to uh, deduce the measurements that were missing. Mm -hmm. We've put them in a separate table. Uh, we've, we found from, uh, again, counting and comparing that it was close to accurate, mm -hmm. at least a lot more accurate than what we had before, but mm -hmm. still we weren't there completely. And then we've built a solution that actually measures where it happens. Mm -hmm. So we measure the orders when they are actually sent into the landscape, as in this is a new order. Mm -hmm. and we found out that these were the missing few percent of measurements um, that we were missing from the initial table. And now we have the complete measurements in stream so that we can actually measure the entire sales funnel. Cool. So you, you have, you're, you're talking about gathering the data, measurement uh, should, should happen where it, uh, where it really happens. Uh, yeah, you talked about ordering, so, but that's about the measuring, but then it's, the measurements are still decentralized. It, we have a service landscape, so it's it's in different yes. places. What what's the next step? What uh, well, the next step the is to uh, get all of those measurements into a single stream. And important in that is that um, the behavior of a visitor uh, is very closely tied to the ordering of those events. So we there was a lot of experimentation uh, before we found out. Uh, but a system similar, like Apache Kafka that maintains order within certain constraints mm -hmm. and our constraint is per visitor, per session, mm -hmm. we want to maintain order and that's fine because we have thousands of those. Um, uh, uh, Apache Kafka supports that, that we guarantee order in the transport pipe for those. Um, the big problem in there, and that is also why it took a while before we before I figured that out, is that there are a lot of systems that call themselves queue. Mm -hmm. And in computer science, a queue is a first in, first out. And none of those systems are a queue. In the sense that they're not a first in, first out. They're not a first in, first out. <laughs> so that is like really bad. Um, and uh, if you read the documentation on those systems, they confirm, no, we do not guarantee 100% ordering accuracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that is what we do need uh, for this class of application. Mm -hmm. So that took a while before I figured that out, that that was the root cause of some problems I had. And that is why I selected at some point Apache Kafka. Also because Kafka was designed to hold, to, to handle really large volumes. So you introduced Apache Kafka to, to get this transport done. So yes. the, uh, if you've done the measurement, it's 
put on the queue of Kafka. Yes. And then. Ah, and then you need to be able to process it. Exactly. And if you look at, for example, the, the example I gave previously about, hey, what other games do you have? Mm -hmm. Is it a board game or a computer game? That depends on things that were previously said in the conversation, mm -hmm. in the session. Yeah. Things that were previously searched for or looked at. Yeah. And that makes a big difference because it means that you have to be able to remember what was said before. And this remembering means you have to maintain some kind of state on uh, the, con the ongoing conversation. Mm -hmm. And at the time when I was creating the first prototypes, and we're talking 2014 approximately, mm -hmm. uh, I did experiments with uh, Apache Storm. And those failed miserably because Storm does not support state. And at that time, there was like no other option to mm -hmm. do high volume streaming. Okay. So unfortunately, at that time, I had to put the whole project on ice, waiting and searching for um, a streaming solution that first of all can scale over multiple machines, but second of all, was able to maintain state and recover in case of a uh, machine failure without losing state. Mm -hmm. uh, that took a while, and uh, a few years yet later, I ran into uh, Apache Flink, mm -hmm. which was explicitly designed to do this. Okay. So I had a talk with the guys who created it, Stefan Ewan and, uh, and his gang from uh, back then Data Artisans in Berlin. Mm. And it turned out that that was the solution uh, that could handle this. So I did additional experiments, and then I could start you know, showing it to people. We yeah. can actually do this. We can actually build this. And, and uh, having this state in it, that yep. was the, the, the key to continue well, that again. It, that was the key that was needed for a large number of um, uh, applications. If you want to be able to do the conversation, if you want to be able to track what the user has done just before, you need to be able to remember that. You need the state. And if you do not have a, uh, a real-time processing thing that can do that, then all of, the, all of those ideas are off the table. You can simply not implement it. Okay, cool. So, the, so this Apache Flink is what you call the, the, the implementation for the processing part of this. Correct, uh, yes. So, so and where is the data stored in, the, in this whole sense? At the Multiple locations. The okay. data is stored uh, for one in, in Kafka, because Kafka also supports yeah. uh, starting from the uh, start of the history that you've kept. Uh, we keep data uh, for a uh, well, few weeks, so you can also uh, you have a few some days uh, or even a few weeks leeway uh, when stuff goes wrong and you can reprocess it. Uh, more importantly is that we store the uh, measurements uh, on a Hadoop cluster uh, to uh, be able to access uh, by security. Uh, think uh, fraud uh, handling, uh, etc. But um, for data science, uh, we use a different uh, solution there. We use our uh, Google Cloud uh, BigQuery uh, because BigQuery is uh, easily uh, queried. Uh, okay, it's more of a batch solution, but still, um, but it is a place where you can store uh, data. It is a place where you can retrieve data. You can do cool stuff with it. 
And then, of course, when you have uh, implemented or found a solution that really requires data to be uh, there earlier, uh, such what we do for real-time campaigns, for example, then you have a system that actually directly reads the data stream from Kafka. Exactly. So to see, given that our uh, different use cases have different requirements on data availability and time for that, we choose the type of storage, basically. Uh, so th that we, we don't want their uh, one-size-fits-all, but more targeted uh, solutions. That's what I hear. Yes. yes, because you really cannot have a silver bullet that fits all use cases. Mm -hmm. So for uh, if you need something fast, we use Kafka. Mm -hmm. If you need something complete, we use BigQuery. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the two main flavors, uh, so to say. Interesting. And... Um, could you give uh, some examples of the of these like almost real time campaigns that we do, so th so that our listeners have an idea of what can we achieve with this, uh, or how could they notice that we are doing stuff like this when visiting our website? Um, when you're logged in, yeah. uh, or when you are recognized, yeah. uh, you can see uh, in some pages uh, a slot like you've recently viewed this, or you have this on your uh, mm -hmm. wish list. These are your recommendations uh, mm -hmm. based on that. Yeah. Now, the wish list items, of course, are long-term, so you can also yeah. uh, do something with uh, the items you've added yesterday. But the stuff that you've just viewed, yeah. you also get recommendations on that. Okay. And that's, for example, on a list page. You're, uh, you've recently seen the board game of Settlers of Catan. You're searching for card games. It might come up with a recommendation that, hey, Settlers of Catan, that's also a card game. Okay. So, so you say, you gather the data, you transport it, you process it, it's feed it back into this real-time campaign, and with the yes. next few, the, the customer has a personalized, based upon what he just clicked. Yeah, the entire loop you just described, uh, we aim to keep that below one second. Yes. And the entire round wow. trip. Yeah. From measuring, through transport, processing, anonymization, GDPR, cleansing, uh, and then back into the website, everything within one second. And actually, in some cases, if it reaches one second, uh, alarm bells go, go off, hey, the system is slow. Okay. <laughs> but that's amazing if you think of it, because you're, you're not doing it just for one customer. No. You do it for yes. a lot of customers in, 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 in the same second. So. Yes. Yes. And, and like Oscar uh. said, we are currently in the, what, 30, 40,000 events per second range. Uh, the whole system, I did experiments, uh, and I was able to reach around 200,000 events per second and process those distributed in real time uh, in an experimental setup. That's not real user data because, you know, we don't have that many events. Um, uh, but in experimentation setups, that actually works. Incredible. Nice. Yeah, we have to, don't have that now, but maybe in a few years we could, basically, right? Yes. yes. Given our growth, so it's yes. not, not... No, this was really designed to uh, be able to grow with uh, the actual size of the company for the next 10 years. Yeah. That was the design criteria for, uh, for this design. Because this is quite hard to build, mm -hmm. quite hard to, to figure out. Mm -hmm. uh, and if it's something that you have to rethink every two years, it, it's it's dead. You know, you cannot really grow upon that. Mm -hmm. So I really put the bar as high as as possible and see, can I achieve that? 
Uh, and given the fact that um, uh, especially network capacity increases over, uh, every few years, um, I don't see that will hit the ceiling of that. Yeah, and one sidestep, uh, you, you or you said, uh, okay, all the items that we are doing is done in one second, and one of the items you said is GDPR. Yes, we have a few uh, um, uh, anonymization steps in the, in the flow. Um, for security, we are allowed to maintain the data with things like the IP address in it, uh, but for most other use cases, we're not allowed to do that. Um, so what we have is a component we call the sessionizer. Uh, it uh, detects uh, several uh, basic patterns in the behavior, like if you go away for more than 30 minutes, we classify you as gone, and when you then come back, we give you a new visit ID. Uh, but we also, for example, take the IP address, look up what is the ISP, uh, the internet service provider, and the net block, and, and the country, and things like that. But very uh, big things, so not personal anymore. And then we blank the IP address. Uh, same goes, for example, for the user agent string, the identification string mm -hmm. used by the browser. Yeah. Um, in some older browsers, it contains so much detail sure. that it is almost unique per visitor. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do is we pull that thing apart, boil it down to the bare attributes, mm -hmm. we kick out all the minor versions, we only keep major versions mm -hmm. of certain components, yeah. um, and that also makes the almost unique identifying string uh, as anonymous uh, as possible and still usable for uh, reporting applications. And that's, and that's essentially the kind of thing we do, and that is part of the real-time stream. Cool. Impressive. Another thing that uh, many people do not realize is that if you collect a series of anonymous data points, so all these uh, IP addresses and stuff cleansed, but still retain it and combine it over a longer period of time, then you still capture behavior that is very personal. Hmm. It, I would even go as far as to say that this is a highly classified personal data. We're not allowed to keep that either. So we also make sure that in the anonymization, stuff cannot be linked over mm -hmm. too long period of time to ensure, again, that the data we have is truly uh, as anonymous as we can get it, but still usable. For the purpose, yeah. Okay. What, uh, yeah, maybe that's too much spoiling for the, mm -hmm. for the, uh, for the other companies, but what, what, what other use cases are you working on in the team right now? Well, as M2, uh, we do not use uh, have that many use cases ourselves. We built the pipeline. But stuff that I do know about that is actively uh, being worked on is, for example, uh, a general platform for experimentations. Um, we've had a podcast before. As we want to try stuff. We want to fail so that we can learn. Mm -hmm. This is one of the key components to do so. Yeah. So experiment, experimentations, being able to uh, tie that accurately. Um, you can uh, check uh, with current systems uh, what, for example, conversion, click-through rates are, etc. But true uh, accurate conversion up to the order level, that's what you need the uh, measuring 2.0 data for. And that's what the new experimentation team is uh, building, so that we have even more accurate results from our experiments. 
So, so within your team, you are building the, the, I would say, the prerequisites, the pipeline, and, and help out those teams. But if you want to build a use case as a, a functionality team, then you can use that as a team and add data to it or so. and, and Mostly uh, combine it with other data if needed. Uh, the experimentation team, for example, uh, at the moment does not yet need to combine it with anything else. Uh, although they are experiment of co- in, uh, experimenting, of course, to do so. Mm-hmm. The um, main goal of measuring 2.0 is to be the starting point for all data science teams. Um, there's not even one single group of data science teams. It's split over several areas simply because there is so much to learn, so much to experiment with, yeah. all from the same data source. Yeah, one, one totally different solution that is also in production already is that um, we have a SEO specialist, the uh, organic search uh, uh, specialist, mm-hmm. that look at how effective, how high our pages are ranked in, for example, Google. Mm-hmm. And they have the need to know how and when and why and what products were indexed by Google at what point. Mm-hmm. The data we have now, we can even provide the exact price and delivery time that was indexed by Google. And then they can see by looking at, hey, what, when, are, when is the new price actually being returned as a result by Google uh, and, and, and use that as a, as a measure of, okay, how fast is the pipeline at, at Google okay. between yeah. you know, actually being spidered by the Google bot and, and being uh, effective uh, uh, in the search result. So, so can, yeah, those use guys are very interesting as well. I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. it's, it's so, so then you have measuring 2.0, looking at um, the data, but explicitly the non-human data, explicitly the Google bots. Yeah. But I think that, that bots are a, a fair amount of traffic on our sites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah one, fun, one funny anecdote is that when we went live with uh, measuring 2.0, we had only a very, very small number of measuring points on the website. Mm-hmm. And we were live for like a week and we were closely looking at all the data yeah. and we saw very strange bumps in the night. So we dove in, what are those? And we were clearly able to find that those bumps were caused by a spider cloaking themselves as a normal visitor Mm -hmm. uh, and really trying hard Mm -hmm. to cloak. um, And still, we were able to see them clearly. They were not doing any JavaScript. So according to Omniture and Googlebot, they were not there. They were not there. M2 saw them, was able to detect them. And, uh, you know, the choice was made to to block uh, the entire cloud provider they were running on. Okay. Even in, in, the, in these areas, it, it helps to uh, to measure like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to the to the closing round already. Um, to summarize for the for the listeners, what is uh, your most important takeaway for us? For me, it is that the uh, volume that we have poses challenges. I like the challenges, but yeah, it does take uh, quite a bit of effort to tackle them. Cool. And I, I, what I see as a takeaway is that uh, the change from 
traditional batch-oriented processing in either a relational system or a Hadoop cluster or whatever towards a real-time streaming mm-hmm. is a real data, data science and data crunching mindset change. Okay. Uh, it, it takes uh, more effort than I anticipated when I started this uh, to get people to really understand and get the value from the streaming data. Uh, and I still see a lot of people that go to the big query tables and just do batch things where the streaming thing can, can have a, a additional value. Exactly, and provide value faster and right. actually while the customer is still on the website. Yeah. Yeah, so wow, <laughs> again, uh, yeah, thanks Niels and Oscar for sharing your stories with us. It, it's uh, hey, when you're not working closely with you in, in measuring 2.0, it, it's just a term you hear, you hear in, uh, in, the, in, in, in the open areas here. Uh, you don't know what's behind it. Now, yeah, you, you start talking about it, it gives you uh, some insight. It's, uh, start, uh, it's even raising more questions again, but uh, I, I think you already made very clear how the, the process looked like, what the volumes are, what the possibilities are. So yeah, thanks for sharing, I would say. And uh, maybe uh, see you in the next round. Yeah. Yeah. But I also really like this, that once again, this was quite a technical topic with, with the high volumes and stuff like that. And in the end, it again boils down to, to that we have to change our mindset yeah. and, and stuff like that. I really found that uh, really interesting. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this episode, check some of the others and subscribe to our feed. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for Tech Lab and subscribe. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun.